Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Alright everyone, we are going on with what we started last week. Um, On the same theme, please don't worry, I always say this, that you're missing out if you didn't catch part one, because we are doing part two of how the gospel creates generous believers. Now, if you, I just want to throw this out there. If you are a young man or young woman in here, and you believe, I think God is calling me to change this world and make a contribution in the area of business. And I, and I, I want to give my life to change many lives. And maybe through generating business, you want to impact. I want to say this to you. You have to start when you are young. You have to start when you are young. And pay close attention to what Scripture teaches us about the heart of generosity and how God views looks at us when we are dealing with his resources. It's always the same pattern. The man who does well with only a few is enabled by God with more. So train your heart when you are young and establish what is important for you. Don't think one day when I have a successful business, I will make a difference. No, it will not work like that. You will have to start impacting your community a little bit with the little you have. That's how you train yourself, amen? I started, um, I gave my first tithe or my tenth to the church when I was a student. Now, the great thing about that, I only got 50 bucks, okay, when I went to home. Uh, and so when I came back, it was easy to give five rands, like, and then every now and then my mom would give me 100 rands. So it was easy for me to get into a culture or heart of honoring God with my finances. So when I started to earn a salary, it was easier because it was always part of my being. I, I am willing to live in a restricted way to partner with the kingdom of God going in different places. But what I find is very hard for someone that meets God when they're 40 and they've always been, they always lived a life where they're not used to sowing into people, into ministry. It's very hard. So start when you are young. So you can change this world. What I want to say when we're talking about generosity tonight is we don't have a project coming up. We don't have cards we are handing out. Uh, There's nothing of that sort. The only reason we are talking about this is because it is central to the gospel. It's central to the gospel. And I'm actually not going to talk as much about money or being generous with stuff as I'm going to focus on what does a generous heart believe? Because once it is in our hearts, it will come out of our lives, right? Let's read together. I'm going to read exactly the same scripture as last week. Quickly have last week's main points on there, and then we'll hit this week's. Um, Here's a great quote from a great pastor. His name is John Piper. This is what he says about generosity or about money. He says, the way to worship with your money and your possessions is to get them, number one, use them and lose them in a way that shows how much you treasure God and not money. Right. 
That's a good quote. Let's read together. Jesus got some incredible stuff to say. We are in a situation here in Luke 4, in a context where Jesus is entering a feast. He was probably one of the guests. Jesus was at moments seen as a very influential teacher. And so in those times, rich people will have feasts. So we're going to have a picture up and I'll explain it again, the same as last week. And so in this moment, Jesus is invited into an, the home of an influential man and he makes a few observations and then he starts to teach and we are here to learn. Amen? Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. All right. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Very important verse, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Can we go to that picture, Chris, for a moment? Uh, I want to... Let me just wrap this idea up. We spoke about it last week. What you have there is a typical Greco-Roman feast, what you would find in the time and in the location where Jesus was moving most of his life, around the Jewish Jerusalem, Roman Empire areas, you would have this setup where that man with a white typically would be called the patron or the host. He's a man of great influence and he's a great man of great money so what he would do is he would spend a lot of money on entertainment right which would involve many things including great food but his list of who he would invite to the party would be very very intentional in secunda let's just try and contextualize that the man might throw a party and invite the head of a municipality head of a high school head of a traffic department one of few very high up people in Sussel, and he would try and build a report with those people by having them at the feast. It would cost him a great amount of money, but he would be okay with it because he will get a return on investment. So he would spend a lot of money and even give generous gifts. But when he goes to, to the municipality to do something with a piece of ground, the man would be waiting there ready to sign because you see, they're already friends. So in a way, uh, the, the people that he invites will open doors for him. He would spend thousands on this event, but he would make hundreds of thousands. That was the idea. It was an investment. Right. Then Jesus comes along and he says in verse... Oh, first thing he says is, he recognizes how everyone wants to sit close to the patron. Because here's the thing, the closer you get to the patron, the greater the chances of you getting into a conversation with him. And then you can talk business. And so everyone is fighting for the 
seat the closest to the patron. Just imagine this being not a great seat, better, better. All right, let's just do this like last week because maybe some would choose this. Now you know this is the worst one, okay? Then he says an incredible thing. He says, when you go to a feast, what these people don't realize is the moment Jesus said that, He's not giving us a great example on humility. He's telling us something about the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking in a parable. He says, when you go to a feast, rather take the low seat, and maybe the host will invite you up and honor you. Watch out if you're going for the high seat, that he will take you down to a lower place. Because here's the thing, and this is where this passage ends as well. At the end of this passage, very influential people were invited, invited to a banquet, but they did not come. They said, oh, I, need, I bought a piece of land. Oh, I'm busy with the oxen. Oh, I just got married. And then people came in, which were crippled, poor, they left under the bridges. And so here is what Jesus is saying. Those people would never think that they would be allowed into a feast like that. Jesus is saying the following. The man that comes to God and say, Lord, I don't deserve a seat with you. I'm really a sinner. The man who takes the lowest position with God gets the seat. Welcome. His blood has covered your sins upon your forgiveness. A man that comes to God and says, you know what, God? This is my seat. I'm not like sinful people. You and me, God, we're close. I'm not like that man, the stuff he does and say, I'm actually quite great and this is my seat. Such a man has no seat with God. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. You have to know you don't act, you don't, you have to know you don't actually deserve a seat with him. That's the moment when you get saved. Are you with me? So Jesus is taking them deeper. Let's go on. He said to the man who had invited him, um, slide five. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends. Your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. He's insulting this man. He's saying, why are you having everyone here that's influential? Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. That's the point. It's the point of a patronage system. I'm going to have a feast. It's going to cost me greatly, but I'm going to have a return. Jesus goes on. He says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay, I have to go fast, but long story short, in heaven or in the new world, after Christ has come, we will have bodies like this. You're not going to fly around with wings. You're not transforming into an angel. Okay, you don't have something over your head, all right? Uh, you are a human. You will be what Christ was after he was resurrected from the grave. It will be a glorious body. No pain, no suffering, no aches, no stiffness. But you will eat, did you know that? In the same way as Jesus ate fish. We will eat, we will feast in the new world. And what Jesus is saying to this man, don't. Don't invest with your life only in return on investments you can get in this world. Invest beyond. That's what he's saying. 
He's actually not saying you should never invite influential people now or never friends. No, he's just saying, listen to what I'm saying here. There's a world to come. Invest in that world by taking care of what you have for those who can't take care of themselves. That's the point. Are you with me? We're going on. When one of those who reclined at table heard him, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This man gets something. Jesus answers. But he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Come, everything is ready. That's very important. But they all alike to ban began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of a house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of a city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Now, I'll just quickly say this. Jesus is not saying you are doing something wrong if you are acquiring a piece of land. He's not saying there's something wrong with farmers. He's not saying there's something wrong to marry. No, no. Here is a principle. He's saying as we are engaging with the many things we can do in this world, watch out that we don't hear the voice of God in the midst of what we are doing. That's a principle. It is easier for the person that's doing well and progressing in this world to think spiritually, I'm actually fine. Because the natural comfort camouflages the spiritual need for salvation. That's why Jesus said, watch out. It's very hard for a rich person to be saved because our wealth camouflages our need. That, that, it's a principle. Okay, are you with me? Right. We're going on. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. He went out and he called those people. And still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. All right. That's the scripture. Last week we had this on the screen. Let's just quickly fly it. Tonight is going to be fast. Next one, please. Last week we summed up on this. The generosity of Jesus bought my salvation, therefore my life shined in the same way. That's why Jesus said, listen, those who know me, when they have banquets, when they are thriving in life, they also include people that, can, that cannot fend for themselves. It's a principle there. As sacrificial giving cost me status among men, God is already preparing my seat with him. The man that says, God, I'm going to take the lowest seat, God says to him, for you I have the highest seat. Okay, we're just recapping. The generosity of God through his people is what leads to the saving of souls and the care for the weak. All right? We cannot reach this world if we don't have generous hearts. Right, that's last week. That was a quick summary. Let's go on. I want to give you four points for tonight. Luke 14, 21. I'm just repeating this part. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of a house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of a city and bring the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Right, we got that. 
goes on. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. Look at that word there. Very important. And what? Compel people to come in. Compel people to come in. Remember in the beginning when he sent the servant, he said, go and call the people because everything is ready. Here he says, go and call those people and compel them to come in. Here's why those people had to be compelled. It's very important for you to get this. When that crippled man, imagine the situation, when he comes before the door of that patron, he knows he does not belong on the inside. He's heard about those parties. He's seen people coming in and out of a state of a rich man, but never, never, never has anyone invited him or given him a seat. Maybe a cleaner. Maybe he was a cleaner or something like that. So here's what Jesus says. The command this patron gives, or this good man, he says, compel him to come in. And it's exactly what we experience when we come to God for the first time. I, at once, I was leading a young man to Jesus when I was still a pastor in Cape Town. He was a man from Durban, one of those rough diamonds. And this is what he said. He said, surely God cannot forgive me after everything I've done. And I explained to him again the grace of a cross. He said, Werner, but you don't know everything I have done. He's got one thing right. He's got one thing wrong. The thing he's got right is he's got a great view of his sin, which we should have. We should understand that our sin is vast and there's a lot of it. The other thing is his grace triumphs over sin. And so in a way, the spirit have to, to show this man, you are welcome to come in. You may come in because of what Jesus has done. This is very important for us for tonight. I, I was also having a conversation with my, um, with my dad and some of his friends. And one man in Wellington committed suicide. It was way back. I was the pastor back then. And people started to talk about faith and people being hypocrites when they're Christians. You know, it's always the same thing. And, and the topic came up, like, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And they turned to me, like there was like five adults. And they said, Werner, you like this church guy. What? And I said, no, if you have faith in Jesus and you ask him to forgive your sins, then he gives his righteousness to you and then you are his and you'll go to heaven. They said, no, it can't be, it's too easy. You have to work for your salvation, they said. You have to be a good person. Because in their minds, they were those good people. You see, when someone really gets saved, they're like a crippled man from the bridge standing outside the feast and they say, I know I don't deserve to get in. But when those doors open, here's what happens in their heart. They are overwhelmed with thankfulness and they start to worship God. They know if they have to be measured, they would never come in. But only because of what Jesus has done, they are allowed to come in. First thing for tonight, when you realize that you contributed nothing to your eternal salvation, it inspires 
thankfulness and generosity. You experience forgiveness undeserved and something in you leads you and testifies this to your heart. If I received so generously from God, surely my life should be a testimony of generosity. That's why generosity is so important. This changes a community. Are you with me? Let's go on. Before you go to the next slide, just hold on there, Chris. One thing what happens when you are outside and you are let in to the kingdom of God, like, like, like someone that was under the bridge, and Jesus comes and he puts you on this seat next to God, right? Something shifts in your heart. Never again do you have to prove yourself to a human being. Never again do, are you on this ever, uh, you know, this hamster on the wheel trying to accomplish stuff in front of people. Because the moment God pulls a chair out for you, it settles something in your heart that transcends what you can receive in this world. And so what happens is how to interpret that for you, working, earning, living amongst friends. The moment you come to faith, you should realize, I am no, long, no longer living for the approval of my friends. Because that would be like the people pressing to come close to the patron. Because they don't have a revelation of God, the greatest person they can get close to is another human. And so they're pressing for this place. Jesus says, no, let that go. Because if you want a high place with God, if you want to be close to him, you have to let go your ambition to please people because they cannot go together. They cannot go together. Now, here's the application for you as a business owner or salary owner, it doesn't mean you should stop doing what you're doing. No. What it means is everything changes on how you view your vocation and your earnings. No longer are you interested in impressing another human being because you are sitting next to God. Why? Why would you want to sit on a plastic chair next to a human being if God hasn't Church, uh, a chair in heaven for you. In the spirit, he's pulled it out. It would be degrading yourself to fight for a high seat amongst men, right? So, the second thing we want to say about generosity and faith tonight is Jesus wants to set you free from the worldly ladder of success. This does not mean that you should not be successful. No, Christians often are the most successful. All this says is that my motivation is not to prove to you what I can do. My motivation is to show God that I'm in his service. Great success follows people who live like that, but they are delivered from doing it to look good in front of other humans. All right, so you might laugh at this, but I'm going to ask you a few questions. Because the enemy comes for us, us pastors as well. Many pastors have started the journey well, and then they've not finished well. Sometimes, as believers, we are doing well, but the enemy can also get a hand on our foot. Listen up. When you connect with God, and he saves you and washes you, it should 
allow the pressure to fall off your shoulder to impress others, right? You may say, I don't care about other people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few examples. Can I get personal here tonight? Is that okay? Steph says, okay, fine. Steph says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things that you might hear in your head that the enemy wants to teach you or lead you to live to impress people. And what I'm saying is, don't now be mad at yourself because you had that thought, okay? Let the truth wash over it. If you continue and feed that thing over a long time, you're going to get in trouble. It starts very simple. Some of you are going to laugh, but it's going to be a nervous laugh. Here's, here's one. I cannot wear this shoes tomorrow again because people will notice that I am wearing the same shoes. Laugh, get it out. You are starting on the journey. Even the way I dress is to make sure I move up and not move back here. All right? Here's another one. I cannot drive in this vehicle. If people see me in this, they're going to lose respect for me. You are being baited to think. Okay? Are you blessed with a vehicle to get things done for God and get around and make sure the kids get to school? Or are you being baited to spend and live in a way where you even will get into trouble to impress the human patron? You are taking capacity and spending it on plastic. All right? I'm going to get more personal. Can I do that? I don't like going out with my husband in public. Because I don't like people seeing me with him. Now, when you are single, you think I'm crazy. Or the other way around. I'm ashamed. What will people think? Because my husband doesn't like to dress neatly. Okay? Because I'm living in this world where I'm constantly measuring what I'm doing with whether I'm getting closer to the patron of society or further away. We have to get delivered of it. Because here's the thing. If this thing gets you, you're going to end up, the, the full-grown fruit of that is a double life. You're going to have a front-stage life where you're living for the crowd and a backstage that you're not actually dealing with. It might be falling apart because you're so focused on showing the good side, you're never actually growing. And Jesus comes and he pulls that man out of it. He says, listen, don't invite those who can move you one seat up. Invite those who can't pay you back. Let's turn the whole system around. And Jesus comes and he dies for sinners. Lays his life down. Now we can come and be saved. Isn't that amazing? How generous should Christians be? 10% is a tip. That's not generosity. Not yet. Amen? That's not sacrificial. Let's go on. We're in Acts and a group of people 
met Jesus, 3,000. Now, what you need to know is it's in Jerusalem. It's the same place, the same environment where Jesus came to sit down for this feast with the man, the Greco-Roman culture. they massive into, I'm going to do a favor for you. You're going to do a favor for me. Name dropping, big in those times. I know this person, right? Check out what happens when the gospel falls on this people. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And the day, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in homes, they were receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, please don't stress. I don't think Scripture is trying to tell us Believers should sell everything and share it equally. No, it's not the point. The point here is in an environment, in a culture where it was all about getting to the high seat, discarding those who can't give you anything, making bonds with those who can return favors. When the gospel fell on their hearts, the whole thing turned upside down. They said, okay, I understand. Generously, I've received from God. I'm out to look off out for those who can't look for themselves. That's how they change. Can you see that? That is remarkable. Everyone in that city, there was 3,000 people there, no one had lack, would know something drastically happened here. Those people that were sitting out there, suddenly they're not out there, they're in there, they're having food. This guy sat next to the road naked for years. He's clothed. What happened here? The gospel came. And so when Jesus say, shine a light, it's more than just testifying with your mouth. Something through this congregation needs to happen that explodes into this town. People should ask, what is this? It is invisible faith taking form through the way believers live. We're not talking here about money. We're talking about a heart not to impress people but to impress God, partner with God, to be generous in heart, which includes money, but it's... Amen? Does that make sense? The third thing, the invisible work of salvation becomes tangible when the church flows in generosity. Without generous heart, we, we will not reach this town. When you are focused, when the enemy, and no one thinks, hey, I want to be, be a self-focused person. Who thinks like that? I want to make sure I'm, I, I, I am full of myself. No one thinks like that. We get caught into it. When we have a community which all are going for the high chair, it's every man for himself in essence. And so we trust in God to deliver us to give us a deeper, more meaningful vision, to say, no, 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 I'm, I'm taking leave from this system. I'm, I'm placed with Christ in heavenly places. Why will I try and impress this person? Lord, I'm at your service. And if we can get 100, 200 people saying that, then we can start moving giants in this town. All right? Are you with me? Last one. Last point for tonight. 
reading the scripture again, we're hammering on it. This is never going to be the same for you guys. The amount of times you've heard this in the last two weeks, Luke 10, 14. When you are invited, go sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, right? And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. How does that work? With generosity. Same thing being said here in the next slide. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded have been done. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, hedges, compel people to come in, compel, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So if you take the scripture together, none of those who exalt themselves will come in. That's what Jesus is saying. So how do I know what grants me to come in? This is the question. This is where we need to land this night. Because many times I would wonder as a young Christian, so am I now allowed or not? Like, uh, which one am I? Am I those, one of those that's not, not allowed in? All right. What opens the door for me to come into the feast that God is preparing, that I can be there forever? And you should ask that question. It's very important. Who can I come? Okay. This is how you can come in. There was one man who walked the earth. You know who that man is. There was one man that never sinned, was at the right hand of God, was with God forevermore in the history of the world, or ages before, created the world in absolute unity with the Father, never did anything to displease him. If there was one man who not only deserved that place, but had that place, it was Jesus. He was the one, if God were the patron in a Greco-Roman sense, it would be Jesus that would be with him. God three in one. But the very one who deserved the seat, who has the seat, was the one that lost it on the cross. It was the very one, the very one who deserves to have the face of a patron kissing him had the face of a patron turning away. And he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I know I'm using an analogy. An analogy is not always equal to the exact truth, but it's to give us that idea. Why have you forsaken me? I was sitting with you. Why are you not with me? Can you see almost that analogy working of him not having that seat at that moment as the father turns away? So that you may have a seat. He was pressed out that you may be invited in. He was cursed so that you may be blessed. He was bruised. That should have been you and me. So that we may be welcomed. It says in Isaiah 53, We like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us on him. The seed that was his 
was taken so that the doors may open for you. Compel those to come in. They are now welcome. There's only one thing that needs to happen. You have to walk through the door, and that's Jesus. Okay? Fourth thing for tonight is this. Jesus lost his seat that I may have one. Why is generosity important in the heart of a Christian? If we don't see it from that, surely we are blind. Amen? Now let's just wrap up tonight. If a congregation gets this, they will do well. If a congregation does not get this, surely they will struggle. And I will give you one or two examples. Are you okay with that? I'm finishing up. A community or a church that understands, I don't deserve to be at the feast of God, yet I am invited because of how Christ paid for me. It starts thankfulness in your heart, which leads to worship. That you would do that for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus says, the man who has been forgiven much, loved much. Doesn't mean that only those who had a lot of sin in the world will love God a lot. No. What he's saying is, every man, you don't know how far you are from God. As soon as you realize that, you love him dearly. Your galaxy is apart from being holy. A community that gets there responds in worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. When a community loses that revelation, let's watch out, okay? I'm not saying we have this or not. All I'm saying is this is what will happen. If we lose the awe of us coming in, getting a seat, we move from worship to religion. I'll do. I'll come to church. Fine. As long as God does his part. I go to church and small group. As long as God knows that he should come through on his part, the deal. You see, we move from thankful worship to religion. Amen? Here's another one. Those who know how much they have forgiven and what a great honor it is to move from under the bridge into the feast because of what Jesus has done. Thankful, worship, Lord, thank you how you have forgiven me finds it spiritually natural to forgive their brother and sister. Man, I have been forgiven. Yes, if I have to be honest, it actually hurt me. But I also want to forgive you. Because surely your sin against me is small. My sin against God was big. So what you get is you get a community in unity. When we move to brat status, sorry for the word, but let's, let's put that emotional connotation in brat status. I deserve to be here. I'm doing my part. God's doing his part. He should. Because I'm, I'm you know, look at all the stuff I'm doing for him. He should actually do his part. We do the same with people. And instead of being gracious, we become one another's critic. 
Oh, you shouldn't have greeted me in a friendlier way. Oh, you should have this. You know, I can't, you're constantly looking to be offended because in your heart, you believe God is wronging you for not serving his end of a deal in a better way. But the truth about you is you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve to come in. When you get that, you have great relationships because you have great grace. And people like to be friends with people who extend grace because we have that need. We're made in that way. Amen? Let's fight for this. We need to be grateful, enter into worship, thank God for forgiveness, and be ready to give it to one another. We're not 100%, okay? But let me just course correct quickly as we go. A congregation that understands this in great thankfulness and worship, they do well at reaching more people for Jesus. When that crippled man gets his first bite of the quiche and he tastes, spiritually we're used to eating out of dustbins. Now you're being washed. You're storming out to go call your friends. This is too good to be true. You see, the problem of a man that is building his own righteousness that believes, you know, he's doing great and God needs to, you know, up his game. He actually does not believe his friend can be saved because he's thinking his friend is such a bad person. <laughs> I'm going to invite him to church. It's not going to make a difference. I never invite they're not even glad to be at the feast because they feel they deserve to be there. So let's make it very personal. When last were you excited to bring someone that's in desperate need to meet Jesus to church or small group? Quickly shift. Quickly shift. You are at the feast. Know it. Let your eyes be opened. Your thankfulness should lead you to include, even if they, they don't know they want it right now, let your heart be generous in inviting. Amen? That's it for tonight. That's a wrap. Let's chew on this. I know, I know this is challenging. That's why you are here. That's why you are here. And so, the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to up my game so that we can grow. Is that a deal? Let's do it. We don't have any projects coming up, but let's consider Jesus in our hearts with us. Let's start. Let's start marinating our hearts in prayer. For a lot of us that's here, we're generous in, in, in money, but maybe your challenge is to be more generous in friendship. Maybe it's time for you to say, Lord, I'm putting my faith out there to make another friend, someone I don't know. That's generosity of heart. Money's not a big thing to God. One man gave a lot, a widow gave one coin. Jesus said, that's the one I'll honor. God's kingdom works differently. So what do we do? We bring our hearts. We bring our hearts and say, okay, Lord, please instruct. Let's stand up tonight. Thank you for listening. I, I can really sense and see that God is working with so many of you. And in one way, as a church, we want to lead and facilitate and instruct. But then in another way, we want to get out of the way. We want to allow God to work with you, right? Church cannot spoon feed you. 
it's, it's only an opportunity for you to come and exercise your faith. Please do it. Please do it. Let's pray.